Welcome, everyone, to episode 95 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode of the podcast, we're going to give a romantic comedy at least one more try as we'll be reviewing the musical rom-com, The High Note. But before we get to that, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing today? Um, I, I'm okay. You know, under the circumstances, it's a, it's a pretty dark time here in... In the country, uh, obviously, things have not been good for a while uh, because of COVID-19, which we, um, you know, have been talking about for quite some time now. Um, but, you know, obviously, things are, are even worse um, after uh, the events of this last week and the protests and riots and uh, police violence and everything going on around the country. It's just you can't you can't get away from it. Right. Um, everywhere on social media, it's I mean, it is like watching a car crash, like driving past a car crash. Right? Like you, you want to look away, but. You just can't. You just keep refreshing Twitter. And every time you do, it seems like something worse comes up and you're like, why did I do this again? I had that exact thought this weekend, actually. Funny you mentioned it. Yeah, but I did manage to look away for a couple hours to uh, to watch this movie and um, to to mildly spoil things ahead. I uh, I'm glad that I did. Yeah, it's a particularly crazy time. It was one of those things, if you'd asked me a week ago, if someone was telling me to stay safe when we concluded a conversation, I would have assumed they were talking about coronavirus. But uh, there are more complexities to that statement now. And uh, yeah, it's it was really hard to look away. It was one of those things where, you know, we, we started recording more on Mondays now than, than we used to. But it's one of those things where I have took last week off of work. Like I just took the full Memorial Day week off. There's no reason why I didn't watch the high note uh, before late last night when I decided to finally open it up and watch it, except for the fact that I just really couldn't find the energy to do anything except uh, kind of watch the world burn is maybe the Joker, the Joker would say, but yeah, it's a crazy time. I was just like an hour ago, two hours ago, I was walking outside where I live in, in Boston and, you know, makes sense, but half of the Boston police department seemed to be outside my building. Cause I live near TD garden and uh, it was a little bit surreal to walk by all of that. So why don't we dive into what will hopefully be a little bit of escapism for us and our listeners with our review of The High Note, starring Dakota Johnson in the lead role alongside Tracy Ellis Ross and Kelvin Harrison Jr. in main supporting roles. Nisha Ganatra's follow-up to 2019's Late Night follows Johnson's Maggie Sherwood, a personal assistant to Ross's Grace Ellis, a famous middle-aged African-American singer. Maggie has dreams of becoming a music producer in L.A., and in spite of her attempts to stretch her personal assistant role into her dream job, she struggles to realize her ambitions until one day she meets Harrison Jr.'s David Cliff, a talented, undiscovered artist in L.A. who seems surprisingly content with his life of playing for passersby in a grocery store parking lot. Maggie convinces David to let her help him produce his music, and the rest of the film mixes music, romance, and comedy as Maggie takes ownership over making her dreams of becoming a music producer a reality. Scott, did the High Notes music, romance, and comedy, unlike a few movies we review lately, charm you and sweep you off to the sun-soaked music scene of L.A., or were you left unimpressed and undistracted by its attempts to hit a high note? Yeah, I mean, you made the joke, right, that the, here's another rom-com. We're giving another rom-com a chance because we've watched a few of these in quarantine now. You know, it, uh, it's kind of slim pickings in terms of new releases. So we've kind of uh, been forced into watching a few of these. And, yeah, I mean, I think we're not looking for very much in these types of movies, right? We're really just looking for something to, I think, to, to borrow the phrase we've been using to lift the quarantine blues for, you know, a, a couple hours and, uh, you know, we, so we've had, you know, we've had uh, Love Wedding Repeat, we've had The Lovebirds, we've had Valley Girl, and e even in the case of, of Valley Girl, which is probably the best of those three films, I mean, which is the best of those three films, our, our reaction in the end was kind of like, I guess it lifts the quarantine blues. Um, you know, we, we're really stretching kind of hard a little bit, but 
the good news is you don't have to stretch very hard to have the quarantine blues lifted by this film because it it i think is on a whole different level from those other three romantic comedies um that uh, i talked about it and honestly on a whole different level from most romantic comedies that i've seen in the in the past few years it, it is definitely in that upper echelon um with movies like set it up is, is one that comes to mind um netflix film from from a couple of years ago and always be on maybe another netflix film that was a a, a real winner it, it's definitely in the, in that upper tier i think that this movie honestly it's it's it was more of a theater movie in a way than anything that we've watched so far during quarantine like more than anything i on one, the one hand, I wanted to be at in the theater watching this, but on the other hand, I was just getting joy out of watching like a movie. Like it, it sounds weird to say that, but it's just like it's one of those movies where it just starts and it has that like movie star energy. It has that you know big flashy energy uh, from it, and you just get get swept in, and you're like, I'm I'm watching a movie. Let's go. Um, that is just kind of your reaction from the very beginning of this thing, um, and that takes it a long way, right? Because a lot of you know, the the things that a lot of the movies we've been seeing have just been kind of mediocre, flat, lazy. Even the films that we have liked, like Castle in the Ground or Blow the Man Down, these are, you know, darker and you and don't more, enjoy you know, watching those movies. Necessarily. Like you appreciate to, them, but you don't to enjoy an extent, them. Yeah. yeah. And, and they are more. I mean, they're definitely independent minded film, you know, movies as opposed to this, which you totally could have seen, you know, in theater now I, I think streaming may have been the plan all along for this one but um I, I don't know but you could totally see this movie being in theaters and uh you know it it feels like a you know a big splashy theater type movie even if it wasn't intended for that yeah i, I don't think the plan was to put this on streaming I, I yeah i think this you're absolutely right like this this film has movie star energy even even though you could argue that it doesn't really have any big movie stars i mean dakota johnson's probably the closest thing to a big movie star maybe or i guess I take that back. Ice Cube is probably the the closest thing to a big movie star in, in the mean. film. Although Dakota Johnson, I think, is certainly on her way to becoming an A list talent. I'm a huge fan of hers, and and this does I think this does a lot for her profile. I mean, look, I I was thinking about this, and I and at first, first I kind of thought this is a joke. I'm just like I'm. There are like a couple like romantic sex like sex scenes in quotation marks that like kind of are like washed over. There's nothing nothing explicit shown in any of these and i'm just like thank god that after the 50 shades franchise dakota johnson doesn't have to take off her shirt again i was just like yeah so happy to see uh, that for her to be honest because i think she's really been moving in a direction away from that with things like bad times at the el Royale, suspiria something different as well and peanut butter falcon last year i think she's really trying to work her way out of maybe the pigeonhole that she found herself in with the 50 shades franchises she broke through with that primarily i mean she's been in other things too but uh, that was her big breakthrough and i think that was good tracy ellis ross probably better known for for blackish and different spinoff shows that that has sort of created o over the years but still feeling like she had that movie star energy exactly to your point and then kelvin harrison jr Scott, I mentioned in my letterbox review uh, when when I was reviewing it that like put this guy with Daniel Kaluuya and Michael B. Jordan, who I had to laugh that got a shout out in this film. I thought that was I was hilarious. about to say Michael B. Jordan is technically in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was absolutely hilarious that that he ended up coming up in the movie after I was I'd already made that joke to myself. But put these guys, put these three guys in a film together and just let them do something crazy because they are all so freaking talented. Um, and honestly, I just I, I can't help but just want more. Kelvin Harrison Jr. is just rocketing up my list of people, people I want to see in, in more movies. He's just absolutely fantastic after Waves and, and Loose last year and, and, and now this. And overall, this film is just full of good vibes. I mean, that's the thing that I, I that's like the, the thing, like 10 minutes into the film, I could I could say it's just like this film is just like sun soaked in like the L.A., I, it's like tone almost it's like the it's like the, the tone of the film is like very uh sun washed very bright uh feeling to to the way the film was shot and and that kind of spreads throughout everything in this film i think it, it it lets itself down a little bit in the last like 20 to 30 minutes kind of sinking into some uh very tropey rom-com norms that like it's it's fine, I get it. It doesn't really do much for me, but the first hour, fifteen minutes of this film are just pure fun, and uh, absolutely would have loved to have seen this in the theaters. Kind of to your point there. Yeah, no, I mean, I I, I agree. I think that the you know uh, one plot twist towards the end is a little soap opera ish, but um, I la I laughed about it. But yeah, I, I rolled my eyes so soon after. Yeah, but you know, you, at that point, you you really don't care. Um, yeah. 
because you have had such a good time regardless. And yeah, maybe the script isn't the, the greatest thing ever, but the, you know, the, I think the stars are able to elevate it. I think the music is pretty good. It reminded me, uh, in, uh, there were a lot of things in the film that reminded me of Begin Again, which is a John Carney movie that I like quite a bit with, uh, with Mark Ruffalo and Keira Knightley, but um, it does have laughs as well. Like, you know, I'm not, it, it wasn't a riot, but Ice Cube, I mean, the guy's going to get laughs, even delivering some of the stalest jokes um, he he can get a laugh just because he 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 has great comedic chops, um, and you know that's better than you can say for the Lovebirds, at least in in my book. Uh, last week, I, I didn't get anything out of that movie from a comedic perspective, but yeah. So so this movie, this is absolutely, I think, the movie we have been looking for with Valley Girl and Love Wedding Repeat and and Lovebirds. This is the you know fun escapist rom com that we have been looking for to to sort of lift the mood. Um, over these past couple of months. And you know what? Better late than never, I say, um, because I, I had a great time with this one. Yeah, it, it, it is a lot of fun. And and to the humor point, I think it, it definitely strikes some good notes uh, throughout the film. But I kind of liked that it was less comedy and, and more just yeah. the story that was being told. Because really, I, I almost, it's not misleading to call this a rom-com, but it really is more of just like a, a, a drama. It feels like this it's this person trying to, to work her way up in the, in the music business. And it certainly is not a very, it's, it's not an over serious drama by any stretch of the imagination. It is lighthearted. There is comedic elements to it. But if you think, if you think something like the lovebirds or Valley girl or love wedding repeat, when you think rom-com, this is not a rom-com. This is not that kind of rom-com. It's, it's doing something a little bit more serious, which is much more up my alley. Uh, I'll raise my hand and say that. And, and it seems like it's much more up your alley as well. Cause the parts where I think it does try to be the most like, like tropiest in terms of its comedy with like Gail, who is like the other, like the, the property manager, like house manager for, for, yeah, gr- for Tracy Ellis. For yeah. 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 Like I hated that character a lot. I, I like it. None of those jokes really worked for me. And I think some people are just kind of like befuddlingly stupid in the film, but this is like very minor. Like these are relatively minor things. They're not ser- like main parts of the plot, but it's just those elements where I think it leans more towards that capital C comedy kind of feel to it where I'm like, you were you had me better when it, you were just mixing in the right the right elements of comedy into what was mostly just a you know a romantic musical or you know musical romance whichever way you want to classify it. Uh, but overall, Scott, uh, again, I think these are smaller. Nit, I, I, I they're not necessarily nitpicks, but they're smaller complaints about about a film that overall, like I said, like I smiled from start to finish about this film. Like this film is just a really great time, and it absolutely was the comedy that I. Uh, of any type of any flavor that I've been looking for in the last what, almost three months now. Yeah, I concur. All right. So before we get to the cast, I do want to start by talking about the music. I mean, it is a musical romantic comedy after all, Scott, and you mentioned that you thought the music was quite good. Why don't you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. Like c- compared to, to begin again, the movie I brought, like the mu- the music in begin again is definitely more my speed. It's like folk pop, but this is more like R and B soul flavored pop a little bit, but the, some of the songs are really good. I mean, they are very well-produced songs, which is important to uh, the plot because we, we have to believe that, um, that Dakota Johnson's character is a good producer and that, you know, she, the, what she does to this one particular Kelvin Harrison song called track eight which i think is probably the standout on the soundtrack um you know she she cleans it up production wise in a way that makes him kind of go wow yes i want you to be my producer now um but yeah in general like the you know the songs that the tracy ellis ross sings uh, as grace davis you know who's supposed to be this big sort of diva star um you know, it, it may be in in the vein of uh, of Tracy Ellis Ross's mother, right, Diana Ross. So um, I, I think there uh, is definitely some some fun uh, playing with that a little bit there. But um, I, you know, listening to the songs, they they were they were good, competent songs for this type of movie. And like I I believed that Grace Davis could have had a career and sold out arenas and all of this stuff off of the strength of these types of you know. Uh, these flashy pop songs. And so, yeah, I, I think they're pretty strong. I want to go back and listen to the whole soundtrack sort of in isolation from the movie to see what else grabs my ear, but just in the moment um, that there weren't any moments where I was like cringing, like uh, maybe they should have just left this one off for the soundtrack and not put it in the movie or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed the music as well. I think it's, it's probably not going to be something that I actively want to go back and, and listen to 
and to be fair, that's that's not something that I normally do anyway. Like it, something something like A Star Is Born is the rare exception where I want to go back and and really listen to the music. And we're talking about one of my favorite movies of the year uh, of, of 2018. There, and to be fair, right now this is one of my favorite movies of the year. But I don't know if it's because of because of really the musical elements of it. There's certainly it's certainly competent and good. I think that's a great way to describe it. It's not going to be the thing that if I recommend this movie to people, I'm not going to be like, you need to listen to this because the music is awesome. Um, but it's good. Yeah. Like it's good. I don't think, I don't think any songs are going to be nominated for Oscars or anything. It's not like oh, Wild well, Rose uh, or something yeah. last year. What where, other films well, are going to come out? Yeah, other movies come out. But it's not like Wild Rose where we're like, Oh wow, here's this song or, or, you know, a star is born where it's like, here's three songs that could be right. nominated for Oscars. I mean, I do think there is one song that is really good in the movie, but still it's not, it's not like, glasgow level good or anything like that yeah i mean thank god this movie is not like uh wild rose because then no one would see it hey <laughs> unfortunately you're right about that yeah unfortunately i mean podcast longtime podcast listeners will know that we are big fans of wild rose so that wasn't a knock on the film uh but all. yeah so uh, yeah the music is is i would say good not great i agree with you that in, in a normal year this probably wouldn't be getting any nominations but we'll see if the oscars actually happen and at the beginning of next year who knows? This track eight might get nominated. Uh, you never know. But with that, why don't we go ahead and move on to the performances? We'll start with the lead role. I think you could say all there was maybe three lead roles or one lead and two main supporting roles. Depends on how you shake it, probably. But Dakota Johnson, I think, is the clear central lead of this film. She's the personal assistant to this Grace Ellis character played by Tracy Ellis Roscott. And I said it already and, and gave my thoughts on how I think that this is kind of lending more credence to the notion that she has movie star energy she she could get there i think she could be someone who really headlines a big movie i mean she kind of already did with the 50 shades franchise but she's trying to to break out of that mold now because really just the fact that that's an adaptation of the book series is really what what brought people to the theater there but dakota johnson what did you think of her in this role as maggie sherwood yeah she's great um i agree i was gonna make the same point that you made earlier actually about sort of her career trajectory and the fact she's kind of pulling a robert pattinson right she totally she yeah. get she got pulled into this whole uh, franchise, you know, that was supportive, that was supposed to sort of make her name. And instead, I think kind of ended up being the subject of a lot of mockery. Um, and, and because of that, she, you know, had to distance herself in a way. And I, I don't think she's gone quite as far out into yeah, Lesfield. I was going to say, Pattinson, Pattinson went on a real yeah, odyssey. <laughs> with like Maps to the Stars and The Lighthouse and all these weird movies. But um I do think, you know, Suspiria is not, not, not for, uh, you know, a movie for your Fifty Shades audience for sure. Um, and, you know, stuff like Peanut Butter Falcon and Bad Times, you know, those, those are independently minded movies. And, but she, you know, she's clearly putting some thought into the pro projects that she's choosing and she's going with, you know, directors and stuff who are, um, who are, you know, trying to do something a little bit different from the norm. This is more of a normal movie for sure. Like this is more uh, of, again, of a, I'm not going to say a 50, I, I'm not going to compare it to 50 shades in like any aspect other than like this, this, uh, you know, will appeal to the casual movie goer, I guess, in the way that 50 shades was supposed to. Um, and, and so I think uh, in that regard, she shows that she can like, she could do the movie star thing. Right. And we don't, we can we, we can watch her and not associate her with you know fit, with Fifty Shades or anything like that. She can make a name for her herself as like a, a legitimate like she can headline a movie. She can headline uh, this movie. I mean, and you know, to your point, it's kind of like a little bit iffy on who is who is the actual star of the movie. But like I would say, it was her if if you twisted my arm. Um, but she just has like that that it factor. I mean, you you like her. Um, you know, pr pretty much from the word go in this movie, she, her, her delivery, like is able to like elevate some of the lines. Like I think in the, in the first scene where she meets Kelvin Harrison Jr. in the, in the grocery, grocery store. store. Yeah. And there, they have this, you know, fun, like meet cute, like banter about like their taste in music and stuff like this. And, you know, she's kind of showing off how much she knows about music. And, and I was just thinking the whole time, I was like, this could have been so cringy in a different movie. Right. Um, but because of both of them and, you know, because of Dakota Johnson in general, like instead of it being like, oh, I hate 
I think that this girl is pretentious and annoying and, and she, you know, she would no nobody, no one would ever say, talk like this, you know, about, about music and stuff when they're meeting someone. I was like, this is just making me like her more. Like this is just endearing me to the character um, even more. And so I think she, she walks that line very well throughout the, the movie. And so she's, she's a very, um, you know, lovable romantic heroine, you know, again, to, to compare to, to, you know, their, the mothers here, I think that uh, her mother, Melanie Griffith, uh, you know, made her name uh, in doing some romantic comedies in the 90s primarily. And I think that, um, you know, she is tr she, she is showing that she can follow in her mother's footsteps here with a performance like this. Uh, I think she's really strong. Tell me Don Johnson never got some good some good romantic comedies in there between Nash Bridges and Miami Vice. I was about to say, it depends on what you consider Miami Vice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it could yeah, be no. a romantic comedy between Crockett and Tubbs. You never know. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, it's a different flavor, uh, different take. I think that probably, probably going to get some people in the comments for that one. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, Dakota Johnson, I think one of the, the I think the one word, if I if I had to boil it down to one word in this film, is just charming. Like she's so charming endearing all those things I, I totally agree and and for sure I, I can I can see many another actress uh really having a different sort of delivery and and making you feel awkward with a script that may or, or may not be you know a little flat at times like I, I mean we can talk about the, the last 15 20 minutes of the movie a little bit later on but uh, I think overall she just does such a good job and you're right from from the very first scene that she's in the first time you meet her just something about that delivery. She's like, I think the first scene is they're in a they're in the music studio. She's mixing, right? She's mixing the 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 album that uh, for Tracy Ellis Ross's Grace Grace Ellis's album. There, she's mixing it in her free time, and just something about the way she doesn't really say anything. Uh, well, she says a couple lines in in that scene, but just the way she's delivering that and the way that she's acting in that scene, I think you just immediately uh, connect with her. Like, I think you, she immediately endears herself to you. Like, she's clearly deeply passionate about it, the thing about the thing yeah. that she's doing it's immediately apparent that that's the case and i think that people who are passionate uh i think often come off really well in, in films when you're passionate about something uh people connect with you because i mean i think we all kind of are searching for those things that we're passionate about in life and, and when you combine that with her i think her natural charm and then the charisma she has with, with some of the other leads here i think it's it's a recipe for absolute success for her in this film yeah that's the thing she she does come off as passionate where i think another actress a worse actress might come off like especially in that grocery store scene is like she's faking it right like she is just she is reading she's a script. Off, she, like, she yeah. doesn't exactly know what she is saying like what what she's actually talking about what it means but that's not the vibe you get at all you get like hey this is someone who clearly knows what they're talking about and is passionate about what they're talking about and i think that's all credit to her yeah, I mean, look, she probably she clearly has a thing for for music for musicians and mu and music stars. I mean, she's been dating Chris Martin for two and a half, almost three years now. And I know that uh, after I discovered this fact, I went and looked into her more of her relationship history. And she's dated a few musicians before that, so I think she also has a thing for music. So maybe she's not even acting. Maybe she's really into this sort of stuff. And yeah. you know, in, in a different life, would be a music producer. Who knows? But either either way, whether she was acting or not, this role really works. I mean, she's awesome in this film and. Uh, I couldn't probably rate her more highly in this. I agree. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the other kind of two main supporting roles here. Let's start with Tracy Ellis Ross. Like I mentioned, probably better known for uh, the blackish and, and the different spin. I think there's like a couple spinoffs there off of that TV show on, on ABC that she was kind of one of the lead roles for originally her and Anthony Anderson really kind of owned that show for a really long period of time. And she kind of makes the transition here and in, into the movie space as this sort of you know middle-aged african-american starlet kind of like you you mentioned kind of uh diva which i think is probably a good way a good way to put it because i think that is really the way that she's painted uh for parts uh, of this film do you think she really embodies this character well does this character work for you in general give me your thoughts on this yeah totally i mean i would i would describe it almost in a similar way to dakota johnson's performance i think that she is totally believable as this character i think she has a great uh i don't know if it's her physical presence or just something about um you know her her as a person she has a commanding presence i think on screen and on stage when she's in in you know the the few moments that we see her on stage um i i think that she you know she captivates the audience and you understand why because i think she's captivating to to watch on screen and so uh, I, I mean there is there's one scene that i didn't really like 
maybe not necessarily because of her performance, but just late late on in the movie, she has a conversation with with Gail, who is the June Diane Raphael character that you mentioned. After, you know, kind of after things have gone bad a little bit, and she is kind of, I mean, spoilers, I guess, at, at this point. She is kind of going in on Ma- Maggie. That's uh that's Dakota Johnson's character, right? She's kind of going in on Maggie. And I, I don't know. I felt that scene ra- ra- rung a little false, like the the things that she was saying there and like the attitude shift that happened so quickly in her character and, and the way that um she felt about Maggie. I don't know. I, I felt like it it was it rang a little false but again i don't know that that's that's anything to do with her performance i think that um she definitely fulfill fulfills the role of the commanding diva um very very convincingly and so i can't i can't really fault much of what she does here yeah that that really i think that scene kind of marks where i think the the script goes a little bit south in terms of it it has had an hour 15 minutes plus of really quality movie and like many movies uh, of this of this quality too, and I think of this type maybe is a better way to put it. I think it just doesn't know how to land the plane. It doesn't know how, it doesn't know where to go at this point with its characters because it's kind of ridden on on the charm and and the and the endearment that a lot of these characters have, and there has to be some sort of conflict introduced into the film, and you have to resolve that conflict. But it doesn't always really work with what's been awesome about your film, and I think that that is one of the things that this film does struggle with on the, on the back half. So I'd be inclined to give Ross a, a pass on, on that one. Cause I, I agree that some of the elements there in that scene ring a little bit false because everything before it, when she's asked to be this, you know, music star, this rock star, this pop star, however you want to frame it. I think she crushes it. I think she's like you said, really believable. I think she again has this sort of star power energy kind of feel from, you know, for whatever reason, whether whether it's the you know Nisha Ganatra just getting everything out of these performances, or just having this innate ability to play that character, I don't know which it is. Maybe it's both. I, I think it works though. She she's believable. She's someone who is who clearly like it's clear what she wants, but she just doesn't know if what she wants matters. And like she wants to to be original. She wants to continue to be like the Grace Ellis that she's been for 20 years. Grace Davis. Oh, Grace Davis. I've I've just said Grace Ellis this whole episode, probably Um, Grace Davis. She wants to be the Grace Davis. That's that's been Grace Davis for 20 years before this. But the reality is, is that the world maybe wants her to evolve into a way that she doesn't really want to. And I think she struggles with that. And I think that she really ends up having this, you know, I don't want to call them angel and, and devil on two shoulders, but just, Two, two uh, voices in her ear uh, whispering her to be the person she wants to be and whispering uh, to her that, hey, you know, this is what's going to secure your, you know, your future and your financial future, at least. And this is, this is giving the people what they what we think that they want. And I think that that she really wears that battle well. And, and sometimes that paints her in a good light and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that's the reality of being human. I think I really appreciated uh, how well this character wears uh, the humanity of being a, a pop star or rock star, however you want to think about it. Uh, really well because i don't think a lot of movies often do that even uh you know even some other movies that we talked about on the podcast yeah i agree i mean i thought that that was just a believable narrative thread uh you know throughout the movie that this is the position that this type of aging star would be in at, at uh you know this point in her career like we've seen it with britney spears we've seen it with madonna right when their careers more or less are kind of over or really going nowhere they go off to Vegas and they they do this show. That's I've always joked that I'll finally get to see Taylor Swift in concert someday, maybe when she gets her Vegas residency, like in the, at the back end of her career, and that will be when I can finally afford to go see her. Um, but I, I mean, that's not something that we've seen maybe explored in um, a lot of music movies. So I thought that that was um, an interesting conflict for the character to face because I think a lot of movies about pop music are about you know, the rising to stardom, yeah. up and coming stars, right? Stars born type stories. This is a little bit more of the Jackson Maine story, maybe a little bit. Yeah. And, and I think that one of the nice things about this film is that you kind of get both stories because you, yeah. know, you mentioned that a lot of films are about rising pop stars and, and that's kind of just like Kelvin, in the stars born. Yeah. yeah kind of like that's kind of Kelvin Harrison Jr.'s uh, role, role here. And, and he gets to play David Cliff, who is this sort of, you know, undiscovered artist in LA that like you mentioned, you talked about the kind of the first scene between 
him and, and and Maggie, which is again Dakota Johnson's character in the grocery store. You know, they're having this back and forth. She walks out of the grocery store, and lo and behold, he's he's playing in the parking lot, and invites her to. Well, before this, had invited her to come to his his house, and it's one of those things where again, there there is a plot twist towards the end of this film that that tells you. Uh, or explains a lot of the the weird things about this character because you can't help but think this undiscovered artist in LA has this mansion in the Hollywood Hills. You're like, what is going on here? Um, and you just kind of you just say like, all right, whatever. He has a mansion in the hills; it doesn't really matter. And you just kind of go with it for uh, an hour and a half in the, of the film, and then it does come back around at the end. It doesn't it doesn't leave you hanging on that note, uh, at least not completely. And so, yeah, he he plays this up, you know, this undiscovered artist who has a passion for music, clearly, but also has a lot of deep seated anxiety and insecurities about failure, about not being the person, uh, not being the artist he wants to be. And and I think that the ending as maybe soapy as the ending ends up being in terms of this this particular narrative arc. I think it also explains a lot of the insecurity, like even more explains the insecurities he has about being an artist like. Uh, full. I mean, we've already started to talk spoilers here, but you know, at the end of the movie, the last act of the movie, you find out that Grace Davis is is uh, David Cliff's mother. Um, that's that's where he gets all his money, and, and this basically this fact has not been uh, allowed to disseminate into the world. It's been it's been kept hidden, and uh, he's just this undiscovered artist who doesn't really seem to have a job. plays in plays in grocery store parking lots and. And you know underground music scenes, and also has a mansion in the Hollywood Hills. And I think it it really does explain why he's so reticent to me. Uh, it explains to me why he's so reticent about trying to really put his name out there. Because if it turns out that he isn't the music star that his mother that he knows his mother is, you know what does that really say about him as being a failure uh, in his musical aspirations? It's not perfectly woven together, I don't think. But I think that there is a part that does explain some of the well more obvious question marks but also some of the more subtle ones around his insecurities with music etc uh, from earlier on in the film but with that aside i just kind of dove straight into some more plot related things what did you think of kelvin harrison jr i mean we waxed lyrical about him on the podcast last year although i'm not sure we actually did we review waves on the podcast i can't even remember if we did or not we didn't review either of his yeah i don't so. think so so we haven't really talked to properly about kelvin harrison jr on the podcast i mean i know he came up in our top 10 uh episode of the year for sure. But Scott, given this is the first time we're talking about him properly on, on, on some like it, Scott, why don't you give him his due here? Yeah. I mean, this one really confirms to me that he is the real deal because this is a totally different side than we have seen of him ever before. Like whether it's waves or loose or it comes at night, like he has had to play edgier character. I mean, particularly in, in the, in waves and loose, like he is a troubled uh, teenager in both of those movies, right? That is that is the role that we have kind of seen him play in, in his career thus far. This shows that he can go in completely the other direction, right? He can be a romantic lead. He can be funny. He can just be charming. Um, and I think, so, you know, you could see some of that in, uh, you know, Loose and Waves a little bit, the way that even when his character is doing, you know, dark, destructive things, there's a charisma about him that keep you wa- keeps you watching him. But he yeah. really just gets to go fully into that charisma in this movie. And yeah, like I said, it just further cements to me that this guy is the real deal. And I mean, I hope he's he's going to get the roles because, I mean, there there are plenty of, of actors and actresses out there who I could point to and say, this this person has it. This person is the real deal. But isn't necessarily getting the the types of roles where they can truly grab the attention of of uh, you know whether it's Academy voters or just the general moviegoer or whatever. There's um, other other film producers who will put him in bigger role, continue to put him in bigger sure, roles, etc. Yeah. Um, and, and but this guy is a name. Like if you are a producer, you are casting a movie. Um, and you want an African-American leading man in your movie, this guy should be the first name on your list probably um, right now. I mean, you know, the other guys that you mentioned are not bad options as well, Scott. Michael B. Jordan, Daniel Kaluuya, certainly you can't go wrong with them. Yeah. Either, but I think, too. Sure. I think I think all of these guys are, are killing it right now. Um, and I think that 
Kelvin is is someone I, I can't wait to see what what he does next. You know, kind of I, I feel like I did about about Michael B. Jordan and um, you know his first roles in Fruitvale Station and stuff like that, or or Lakeith Stanfield in Short Term Twelve. Like you, you just you can sense this guy's on the cusp of something really special. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna talk about another film in just a couple weeks where it's gonna be chock full of of black actors with the Five Bloods when that drops on Netflix. Spike Lee that has Jonathan Majors who made a lot of waves. Uh, sorry about the pun there. For we were just talking about waves. Uh, made a lot of waves last year in um, the Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yeah. So uh, and he's also I think he's in, isn't he in uh, the Lovecraft? Uh, is it Lovecraft Country? Is that what it's called on HBO? Coming out isn't he in that series? Two coming out later this year. Um, anyway, that's, um, that's Jonathan Majors. Is, is he? Oh, Jonathan Jonathan Majors. Yeah, he might be. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. So I think that right now we are full of really young. Well, not always young, but a lot of really young or middle aged uh, talent, African American talent here in the film business. And I just love that you get to see in this kind of movie, Kelvin Harrison Jr. get that shot to to show a completely different side of himself. You're absolutely right. Like it. If he's given like three different notes of performances, I think it's like, I think Waves is one end of the spectrum where he's like this really like impulsive, not very measured, hot-headed, you know, athlete who's kind of full of himself and flies off the handle and does uh, does some crazy things. Loose is like some weird balance between there's something dark about this character, but also really, really charismatic, really charming, really endearing. And then this kind of completes the trifecta of, entirely charming entirely endearing uh really all, all anything but good vibes nothing but good vibes coming out of this character and you're absolutely right like the fact that he gets you know these three films in less than 12 months to be put on display is just like i mean if i were if i were a film producer watching this i'd i'd want to make a movie with him uh, again I, I don't know if he'd be first on my list because i think that that some of these other guys maybe i i still might rate daniel kluya and especially michael b jordan a little bit higher but I also think both are very different kinds of stars. I think Daniel Kaluuya has shown recently that maybe he's looking to do something a little bit different than what yeah, he true. originally did with Get Out. And I think Kelvin Harrison Jr. Uh, fits in it in a different way. Maybe I think he could do anything. Don't get me wrong. But I think that all three of these Michael B. Jordan, you know, Daniel Kaluuya, Kelvin Harrison Jr. I think they could all do different different things in, in a film. And um, they're not necessarily always, you know, really hitting, hitting the same the same roles. Although I think all of them are so talented they can do just about anything. That being said, I haven't actually talked about this particular performance. I think it's, again, much like Dakota Johnson's performance, incredibly charming, incredibly endearing. I think you're maybe just like, oh, what is this guy doing when he kind of approaches this girl in, in the grocery store and and is a little bit weird. But I think you get over that pretty quickly when you actually start to interact with him more and they get to know each other a little bit better. And, and that's not Kevin Harrison Jr.'s performance. That's just the, the character uh, and how the character is written just kind of you know, shooting your shot, you know, straight out, straight out. You see this girl, you walk up to her, you start talking about music. It's a, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a comfortable thing to do in my mind, but it works. Not, it not, works. Probably, probably not when you look like or can sing like Kelvin Harrison Jr. Probably right. like you, you have, you have that kind of confidence. I wasn't like, I did have the same reaction where like he follows her to another aisle and I was like, Oh, but I had that for like, I had that. I was weirded out for about 10 seconds. And then like yeah, his, yeah. his charm just kicked in. And I was like, all right, you're, you're fine. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. As you were. Uh, no, I, I think that's a, that's a good assessment of it. Uh, Cause overall it's just, it's a great performance. So I don't know what else to say. It's, it's really charming. Kid can sing, get him in more musicals. I mean, get it, yeah. get him, get him in front of a microphone. I mean, the kids, the kids got it all. He can act, he can sing. And that's, that's rare. I mean, Hugh Jackman's maybe up there too with people who can act and sing. And uh, I'm sure there's a couple other too, but people who aren't up there, Russell Crowe, not on the list of people who can act and sing. Oh, you had to go there. Didn't you? <laughs> I did have to go Pierce there. Brosnan. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but Bradley Cooper surprisingly can sing. Turns yes. out uh, he practiced six months to be able to sing for a star is born. And I'll give him credit for that, even though I hadn't liked him really before that film. Anyway. Yeah. Fantastic. Overall, there's only a few other real significant, supporting performances i mean i saw bill pullman's name on the cast list for a little bit but yeah, he's in the movie really for like is, five seconds like how long he's, he he really is kind of an afterthought yeah yeah but but there is ice cube there is i've already forgotten gail's actress's name who have Jude a little yeah judah rayfield there are a couple other more minor uh supporting roles to talk about any that particularly stand out it seemed like ice cube might have been top of your mind here 
I mean, yeah, he always stands out. Like the the dude is hilarious. Uh, he he is one of the the few people that I can count on in Hollywood to be like reliably funny uh, in a movie, I think. And so I, I actually didn't even realize he was in this until I started watching it. And then I was like, oh, heck yeah, he's in this too. Um, and I, I would have liked to see even more of him. But, you know, what's there, he he really makes it count. Um, I, I would, yeah, I was disappointed with the Gale character because like June Diane Raphael is really funny. Like, you know that I'm a huge fan of How Did This Get Made? And she's one of the hosts of that podcast. Uh, and she's very funny on there. Very funny, like le legitimately. Um, but they did, they totally gave her like the, I mean, this is the character that would have been in the Lovebirds, right? This this character was like every yeah. single character in the Lovebirds, just a kind of turned up to 11 and, and kind of is the reason that I don't like studio comedies because there are way too many characters of this type. But luckily she's not on screen that much. I do think it was, it was a misuse of her as an actress though. Um, other than that, yeah, I, I don't have much to say about Bill Pullman. He's, He's a, he gets to be a dad for about eight minutes and, you know, he does a serviceable job. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think he's saying eight minutes might even be generous. Let's get that stopwatch Probably, out yeah. and time that. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the Ice Cube is a supporting character that works for sure. I think the only other one besides June Diane Rayfield might be Zoe Chow, who plays Katie, which is mm. uh, Dakota Johnson's like roommate and friend. I think, again, like anytime they try to use this character for comedic purposes, I'm just kind of shaking my head a little bit. It feels more capital C studio comedy type of comedic role, which our listeners know that we're a little bit less of a fan of than, than maybe the average person might be. And so, yeah, ice cube of, of the other supporting characters is definitely the one that stands out for me as well. And, and a few of the other maybe more minor supporting roles there work a little bit less, but uh, te teach their own. There's a little bit of everything in this film. If you are into more of that kind of comedy, you get a little bit of flavor of it here. And so I won't I won't uh, begrudge you that too much. Moving on to the plot, there's it's really look it, it's charming. It's it's a relatively standard rom com plot. Ultimately, if you look at at least the romance part of it, it's it's fairly standard. Uh, maybe there's some more interesting pieces on the dramatic side as you follow the story of of this personal assistant trying to become a music producer and and the risks that she takes um, that to you know to to varying levels of success. Scott, but anywhere in the plot that you'd like to to point to and talk about. Uh, other than kind of the last act where things sort of happen uh, a, a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, overall, I think it's a pretty safe movie from a plot perspective, like definitely a lot safer than a star is born, definitely safer even than begin again, which has actually some interesting sort of commentary on the music industry, which I think elevates it beyond um, what it, what it, you know, maybe looks like on paper. This is, it is just more of a, a standard, you know, romantic comedy musical comedy drama type type movie um and that you know that's not a bad thing again it, it's it's it knows exactly what it wants to be and and it is that uh and and it and it's very good at that um what one moment which i did kind of roll my eyes out a little bit because it actually does recall a moment in in begin again was when he brings maggie into the studio to like sing backup vocals on a song for him or to kind of almost duet with him on this one song and turns out she can actually sing i just felt like that was just a, a little bit of a, a leap there it, in begin again there's a similar scene where like because the whole idea is that they're going to record this album outside and have like natural sounds and stuff on the on the album and so they go to this alley and there's kids in the alley who are like playing sports and mark ruffalo is like hey i will pay you guys to stop if we can record a song here for five minutes and they're like, okay. And then he's like, Oh, actually, can any of you kids sing? And it turns out that like all of them have like angelic voices and they like sing back up on this one song. And I was like, come on. And so I kind of had a similar reaction to the fact that, Oh, Hey, she, you know, is Dakota Johnson and is also a really good music uh, producer and Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. She can sing too and sound really good. Like, come on, nobody is that perfect. Um, so so that was a, a little bit of an eye roller. And then, I mean, yeah, the, the end of the movie, like, I don't think they, they really needed the twist. I'm not sure what purpose it ultimately served, again, other than to explain some stuff from earlier in the movie, like him having the mansion and, and all of that. But um, it, this isn't a movie where, like, this isn't like an M. Night Shyamalan movie where, like, it's all dependent on the twist, right? If the twist fails, then um, you, you know, the movie fails. I was just like, I kind of just shrugged my shoulders and was like, okay, sure, whatever. Like I'm having a good time. Yeah. I cackled a little bit just out of like, 
pure yeah. hilarity that these two people didn't. And I had to recommend like, oh, did he not realize that the party that she was trying to get him to play at was for his mom? Like, how did he not know that? Yeah, It seems like there's got to be a plot hole in there somewhere where it's like this revelation would have happened earlier. Like, I, I just don't I don't get why it, it takes so yeah. long. For and, the and, connection yeah, to be made. I think that it, the plot is kind of dependent on him, like not being aware of what his mom is doing uh, for him to not realize that this party that he's going to that he's being told to come to with, but you know, with, with, uh, with Maggie is not his mom's party. And, and her just kind of being willfully in the dark about why, like his lifestyle is the way that it is. Yeah. Well, well. she, you don't look a gift horse in the mouth when you have a, when you have a music producing gig. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, it, yeah. A little bit shruggy, but I did like how it tied back into again, not, not the mansion part, but more the the insecurities around him. You know, trying to produ- like producing his music and actually trying to put it out there and, and be critiqued yeah. and judged and stuff. But uh, overall, I, I I got a little bit of a laugh out of it, but it also was very, oh, no, I shouldn't say very, a little bit soapy and a little bit eye rolly. And it felt very traditional rom com uh, at the end of it, which I think a lot of this film, yes, may be traditional, but I think it, like, like you were saying earlier, it, so many of the different aspects of the film, the music, the performances, the charm. Uh, the chemistry, all, all these things elevate what is otherwise maybe a, a relatively standard story. And so to see at the end of the film, it get dragged down a little bit by something that it, that it, the rest of the film had elevated before that was a little bit disappointing. But overall, again, this is minor disappointment relative to the overall experience of this film. Yeah, I will say I did like the very end because it actually they oh, yeah. actually kind of uh, poke fun at that moment I was talking about. Yeah, I was going to mention Dakota Johnson singing. Yeah because he david is playing a concert and he's like i'm not gonna bring out you know a wonderful woman or whatever who's a great singer singer, and she thinks and dakota johnson thinks it's gonna be her she's like preparing her hair to like go out there and then you just see his mom grace davis like come from backstage right out onto the stage i thought that was a a funny moment yeah i was gonna mention that and then my my mind wandered somewhere else because i i did appreciate that was that was a pretty funny way to end the film, and uh, although technically I guess it doesn't end there because they do let you listen to Kelvin Harrison Jr. and Tracy Ellis Ross sing for a couple minutes, which is quite a delight. I'd recommend which it. It's great, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, Scott, I think that really that should probably do it. Uh, what's your favorite scene or moment from the high note? Oh, um, I guess I'll go with that that first scene in the um, in the grocery store with with Kelvin Harrison and uh, Dakota Johnson, just because that I mean. Even though I, again, I felt that energy from the beginning, that was the moment where I was like, hey, this this is going to be a good movie. Like, because the, the the fact that they managed to pull that scene off, the two actors, and the fact that they managed to, you know, pull off those lines without, um, you know, with, with without them sounding cringy or with them sounding exactly like they should, um, I was like, this this is going to be this 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 is what I wanted from this movie, um, and so that was that was a, a high point for me for sure. Yeah, it's hard for me not to pick something with either Calvin Harrison Jr. or Dakota Johnson in it, just because I think that they just I don't know they rock. They just rock in this film so much. Uh, and so uh, something that I discovered earlier this year when I was watching the you know, Miss Americana, the Taylor Swift documentary, is that I really like really well done. <laughs> music studio you know music production scenes and so i'm gonna go with uh one of the scenes where she's mixing i can't think i can't remember if it's either his music or or grace davis's music one of them uh but one of the pick 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 your poison there because both those scenes i think are really good when she's like mixing the different songs and just something about the performance like i said something about the delivery and the acting and those particular performances makes you just really feel how passionate she is about what she's doing and i think that you talk about the it factor earlier. I think that's the it factor for her. She she was able to show how passionate this character was about this about this thing that she's doing, and that just brings the whole film to life. Totally. All right, Scott. Let's put a score on it. Out of ten, what are you giving the high note? Eight point four. This is not um, a movie where, like, in a normal year, I would be like top ten, absolutely. Uh, but in terms of like what this movie is aiming for, again, like if you if it's a bullseye, this movie pretty much uh, is very close to hitting the bullseye in terms of w- what it's aiming for and what few flaws that are there uh, don't don't bring down what is you know a thoroughly charming time. And this is this is the the droid we have been looking for in in quarantine. So eight point four. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll spill the beans to the listeners, Scott, that I did check Letterboxd right before this, and this is your number four of the year so far, unless you've changed it 
in the meantime. It is. I mean, like, and I, and I put it above, I think I put it above bad education, which like maybe quality wise is probably a better movie than this, but I just had such a good time with this. I couldn't divorce my personal experience maybe from, uh, yeah. the, you know, my experience of watching the movie. Um, uh, and, and, you know, when I talk about my favorite movies of the year, I am talking more about, you know, my, my own personal feelings. And so, yeah, this is, this is number four out of, I don't know, 24, 25 that we've watched this year. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, I can't believe you do Corey Finley dirty like that. Though I thought I thought you guys were buds. He's still my boy. I'm going to talk about him in, in just a few minutes, actually. Tease for the news section. But. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so I think that we feel really similarly about this. Don't pay attention to the fact that our scores differ a little bit. I'm giving it a 7.6, but this is a thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable film. I'd strongly, strongly recommend it. It's probably the first movie that we've watched on a VOD release that you couldn't see in the, like you couldn't have you couldn't have gone and seen the theaters where I'm like, you know, this film's probably actually worth a twenty dollar rental. Like this film is actually worth spending the money uh for the for the VOD. It's only six dollars to rent, actually. But... It's only six? Really? Yeah, on Amazon on Amazon it is, yeah. Oh, on Amazon. Okay. I was looking where was I looking where it was twenty? I believe well, it's only six on Amazon. Well, if it's only six on Amazon, guys, go out there. Like this this film is worth six dollars to rent hundred percent. This is Absolutely. I can this is the first time I felt so confident in saying in saying that about one of the VOD releases. I mean we've we've watched some streaming films that are also would also be worth six dollars. But uh the, the the actual VOD release, this is this is the one. So go out there and watch it, guys. It's my number six of the year so far, and it might creep up even a little bit further as as time passes because I mean, look, I'm, we're only 24 hours removed from me watching this film, but it's sticking with me in terms of the good time that I had watching it. Yeah, I could easily see myself watching it again before the year is over. I was thinking the same thing, actually. This Maybe this is the book smart of this year for me, which I watched a bajillion times. Yeah. All right. Well, that should just about do it for our discussion of The High Note. Let's take a short break. And when we return, we'll be talking about several recent items of news. Scott, you were teasing it uh, just a few minutes ago. And, and one of those pieces of news will be the new Wolfman movie in the Universal Monsters universe and the announcement that Doug Lyman will be directing Tom Cruise in space. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As teased before the break, we have two interesting bits of news for us to talk about today. First, we will start with uh, kind of the ongoing news that we're talking about of Tom Cruise going to shoot a movie in space with Elon Musk and SpaceX and and uh, some film studio that's crazy enough to fund the project. Maybe in re- this week, I mean, that hasn't been decided yet, but this week we learned that there is at least a director crazy enough to go either to space with Tom Cruise or to sit in Mission Control in Houston. I have no idea uh, where it'll be, but Doug Lyman is going to be directing, and I don't know if he's going to be writing as well, but definitely directing uh, this film that I don't even know if it has a script or not yet. I don't think it does. Uh, uh, Tom Cruise going to space. Doug Lyman, at least in terms of Tom, like relative to Tom Cruise, best known for directing Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow, whatever the hell that movie is actually called now. I have no idea what it's actually called, but one of those names is the name of that movie, Scott, and that is sort of the sci-fi uh war film video talk about video gamey type movies where groundhog, groundhog day, day spin yeah. yeah Groundhog day spin on this sort of sci-fi alien invasion war film with tom cruise and emily blunt that but we actually saw this movie together in theaters uh at one summer when we were in college i can't remember which year it was maybe your movie release dates will we'll pull this one but um it was 2014 2014 so. yeah so and we were quite delighted by it. we really really enjoyed it's a great it movie. yeah it's a really good film really i think surpassed any any expectations we might have had for the film not that i really had many i just thought it was going to be kind of a dumb cool fun action action flick and it, it was way more than that and so when this news dropped next week short of christopher mcquarrie directing this film scott i think this is probably the best choice uh for tom cruise to to go to space with what do you think of this news i mean any Tom Cruise news is going to get me pumped. He's my favorite actor. Um, and, you know, I was just, I would, it, obviously, if you read our newsletter, if you get our newsletter, you, you'll know that I was just watching the Mission Impossible movie, or the last three at least, this past week. Uh, but those movies are just so good. Um, and, and, like, legitimately some of the best action movies of all time. Um, and 
you know, he, Tom Cruise is a big reason why. He's a big reason why Edge of Tomorrow works really well. I have, actually haven't seen American Made, which was also a Doug Liman, Tom Cruise um, film. But Doug Liman is a very, very solid and, and underrated director, I think. I mean, he, he did the first Bourne movie. He did Go, which I think is a, it is an incredibly underrated movie that it, may, it is maybe the only Pulp Fiction clone like only movie that came out in the 90s and was clearly trying to knock off pulp fiction that is actually good uh it's it's really good um it's, and obviously he has a relationship with Cruz in the same way that that Macquarie does so i think that this is you know a, a natural match and um i was already you know gonna see this even if if michael bay or brett ratner had been directing this thing um why would you even say brett ratner's name on our podcast go because away because he just got shortlisted for the academy governor's awards or something. no i i'm aware that he did but why did you bring it yeah. up though <laughs> he, uh, he was probably on my brain for that reason but even if they had been directing it i still would have wanted to see this thing because it's tom cruise in space and so yeah. the fact that it's a very established and uh, you know, a director that I'm a, I'm a, I am a fan of. I'm certainly a fan of. Um, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, Doug Liman. I've seen American Made. I saw it in theaters back in is that twenty? That was twenty seventeen. That was late twenty seventeen. I think when that one came I think out. That's right. Yeah. yeah, good, good, not great film. I definitely like Love Die Repeat better, but it's a solid film. And and I think that Doug Liman probably fits into the category of directors like a Christopher McQuarrie, who Cruz obviously works a lot with at least recently on the Mission Impossible franchise, but also James Mangold, who I think you mentioned in in the, I think you mentioned in the article that you were writing for the newsletter this week that it's, they just have a really, they are really safe directors. And I don't mean that in a negative way whatsoever, just really proficient and competent directors to make something that has mass appeal and is done well, right? You don't have to compromise quality for mass appeal with their films. And I think that's a yeah. great way to a great way to describe it. And so, like I said, short of Christopher McQuarrie or James Mangold, maybe uh, directing this film, I think Doug Lyman is a great pick and I'm excited to see whatever will come of this film, whatever it's actually written. I don't think it actually has a script yet. So, yeah, they make, they make movies that my parents and I can watch together and that we can both enjoy on the same level. That is that is how I would describe it. Their movies are as much for the for film boomers bros. and for zoomers. <laughs> for the film bros as they are for you know the the average uh, moviegoer just looking to have a fun Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. And obviously James Mangold last year directing Ford vs. Ferrari for the comparison point there. Great so. example of that. Yeah. Absolutely, Scott. All right. With that having been talked about, let's move on to the other bit of news coming out of Universal and the Universal Monsters franchise of films. Look, the whole Universal Monsters universe that they, you know, basically had a false start with the mummy. With Speaking of Tom Cruise back in, mm -hmm. was that 2016, 2017? That was summer 2017, I think. Um, that was a total, total, you know, absolute dud of a film and literally just killed the whole franchise before it even got off the ground. But with the success of The Invisible Man starring Elizabeth Moss earlier this year, I guess it's given Universal some ideas and they are going to try to, Maybe restart this whole uh, dark pictures or dark dark universe, whatever the hell they're calling it. I don't even know. Um, with a Wolfman revival starring none other than Ryan Gosling and maybe directed by Corey Finley. Uh, to your tease earlier, Scott, what do you think of this news? I do. Uh, I do feel very uh, happy about this news. I think uh, I. You know, I think that Universal was probably always going to do this after the success of The Invisible Man. I mean, the, the Dark Universe was one of the most mocked things on the Internet for some time. There was that that picture of all of them like sitting in a room like it, this was going to yeah. be the next Johnny big thing. Depp. And freaking well, because Johnny Depp was going to be The Invisible, Invisible Man. Man um, yeah. yeah. Um, and Russell Crowe, who obviously was in The Mummy as well. Javier Bardem was going to have some part in it. I think there's there's a couple other people in the photo. Too. I mean, you yeah. can find it out there on the Internet. But. Yeah, I think the the Invisible Man, like I think with the Mummy, they were just trying to make like uh, you know a classic genre type monster movie. With the Invisible Man, I think they showed that they can you know put make put make these types of movies with social commentary in them. Like that was what made I think the Invisible Man work really well. That it felt kind of Jordan Peele in that type of way, you know, and that it was you know this this whole commentary on. Uh, marital abuse and, and that or I guess they weren't married, but on domestic on domestic abuse and, and you know the the trauma that it leaves. That was what made the movie, I think, you know, so effective and, and you know so successful. Um, and so it would be interesting to see if they try to go in that direction 
with you know the the rest of the movies will they try to do something more subversive with the wolfman i don't know what it would be but i couldn't have imagined what they were going to do with the invisible man either i'm not hugely i mean i'm, I'm not thrilled about ryan gosling doing this he's not one of my favorites as you know if you've heard the the podcast before i think he he gives very blank slate performances which work in some movies and in other movies not not quite as well and I, I don't know if that type of performance is going to lend itself well to to this character of the wolfman obviously um we got a this was adapted not that long ago with benicio del toro i think maybe 2009 um 2010 but i i imagine this will try to go in a different direction but if Corey finley's directing look i mean that's obviously something to get excited about um it, i feel like it's it's a little bit of the same conversation that we had last time with david robert mitchell possibly doing like a superhero movie and that here is this director that i love what they are doing in the more in with their more independently minded films right with Corey finley and thoroughbreds and bad education this year i think like he's killing it with what he's doing right now and so there is a part of me when i hear this that's like Oh, you know, do you really, is this really what you need to be doing? Like, don't you want to just continue, you know, what you've been doing and keep, keep churning out hits like this. Uh, but I think that that itch is, is always going to be there for filmmakers. Who, I mean, he's going to be getting a lot more money for this, right? He's going to be reaching a lot larger audience than he has with his last two films. If he does indeed sign on to do this. Um, and the fact, right, that they are interesting filmmakers, right? This is, um, you know, no offense to what we were just talking about, but this gets me more excited than if James Mangold was directing this, honestly, to, to be quite honest. I, I think that having Corey Finley direct this shows me that, hey, maybe they are trying to do something, you know, a, a little more subversive um, with this than, you know, so, something a little bit safer, like maybe like they were trying to do with The Mummy, obviously that bombed, but, uh, you know, just just getting, uh, you know, your, your average, um, big budget director in there to do this. And so, yeah, I, th I think this is, this is definitely something to watch for because I'm not a huge monster movie fan or anything like that, but I love the invisible man because it, it, it was something different. And I hope that universal will try to replicate that with the wolf man, whatever other ones that they, they own, I guess are like, Jekyll and Hyde or Frankenstein. I'm not sure. Are the, they, are own, they, in they own all of them. Yeah. Jekyll yeah. Hyde, Frankenstein. Dracula. Yeah, Dracula. Who would play a good Dracula nowadays? I mean, I am biased because I just watched, uh, is it Kleist Bang do it in the Netflix yeah. BBC drama? He was a really no. good Dracula. But you know, if they did it, they would have freaking Jared Leto playing this part. Like, can't you just see that? Yeah, so he'd play Joker, Morbius, and also Dracula. God, that'd be terrible. Exactly. That'd be just the freaking worst decision ever. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, no, I think that it's an interesting point about, uh, Corey, you know, having hesitation for Corey Finley to be directing something like this when he's come off a couple indie films. But I mean, look, Invisible Man was basically an indie film. Like it, it was, wasn't it Blumhouse? It wasn't Blumhouse backing it and providing the money for it mostly. I mean, like it's a hand, only a handful of millions of dollars, uh, directed towards the production of it. And that, and that's what made it so successful. I mean, it, I mean, honestly, look, the mummy, like the bottom line is the mummy generated way more revenue than the invisible man did. It's like bottom line, like probably by a factor of 10 even, but because it was so expensive to make and so much marketing was like wedged behind it, it didn't make money. It didn't, it didn't turn a profit for universal. And that's what, that's what, I mean, that's what we mean by bomb. Right. Whereas like when you make a movie on a, I don't know, what is it? $10 million budget probably for, for the invisible man. Yeah. And you, put what maybe like 50 million of marketing behind it when you make 100 million dollars you've made your money back and then some and that's and that's the way to do hard that's the way blumhouse has operated for you know almost a decade now it feels like in the in the sort of horror movie space and when you say that you're i mean you have a little bit of hesitation and concern for Corey finley to take on something like this i'm like well is there hesitation like this is still this feels like it's going to be an indie film if if they stick to what was successful with the Invisible Man? Now, if they go a different mm -hmm. direction and they have Corey Finley directing some hundred million dollar adaptation of Wolfman, one, it's going to bomb. But two, I mean, it's going to be—I mean, it's just going to be so different than what yeah. what they proved was successful with the Invisible Man. You do have Ryan Gosling, which, like, he's not necessarily doing indies nowadays. So I think that um, yeah, that true. maybe indicates that they maybe are aiming for for a bigger budget. I mean, he certainly has more pull than an Elizabeth Moss does. But I, I mean, I, I think. I think you you've made a good point that I would be surprised if the budget if this is like 
you know, a $7,500 million movie in terms of the budget. Yeah, I was also looking at who directed The Mummy, and I didn't realize Alex Kurtzman directed The Mummy, which, yeah. maybe, I mean, I guess he's got some good writing credits, I guess, on on his resume, but uh, I don't know if he directed many films before before the mummy i don't know i'd have to look finley has shown that he can be trusted now right like he yeah. he he made the next step i think between thoroughbreds and B bad education because like yeah bad education i guess is an indie film but like he had big stars in the movie like it yeah. uh you know to, it had a big subject matter that you know a lot of people were were interested in you had hbo backing this thing so i think that if you're going to choose an indie director, like he's a good choice to, he's a better choice to make than someone like David Robert Mitchell. Whereas I, if I was like, you know, if I was MGM or, or whoever was doing the David Robert Mitchell movie, I'd be scared MGM. that he's just going to go off and do something really crazy with this. Yeah. Well, like we talked about last week, the, the president over at MGM worked with, with DRM on, true, that's true. on under the silver lake, which is probably the only reason they're giving him money yeah. to another film. Um, but yeah, no, it, I, I would agree with that, that from a studio perspective, Maybe a safer bet. I mean, look, I mean, Corey Finley hasn't made a lot of money yet, but when you get Ryan Gosling in to star in the film and when you have the backing of Universal and, and put the IP behind it with the, you know, a Universal monster in the film, like, I mean, Wolfman's probably not one of the valued pieces of IP over there relative to something like Dracula or Frankenstein's monster or anything like that. But uh, you get Ryan Gosling, you get the IP and you get Blumhouse because I don't know if I, mean, I don't know if Blumhouse is going to be attached to this or not. But if Blumhouse is attached to this, then you get their horror um, production name behind it. And, you know, the film's going to make money as and especially so if it's able to replicate, like you said, the more interesting aspects in terms of social commentary, et cetera, that the Invisible Man was able to do. So I'm looking forward to this. I think this is this is good news in my book. Yeah, totally. All right, Scott, that should just about do it for episode 95 of Some Like It, Scott. Do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today? Um, you know, I, I always say stay inside and maybe that um, takes on a new meaning to your point uh, up front, Scott, that uh, stay safe now has, has an alternate meaning. If you uh, if you're if you're upset about what is going on and I think you are would be justifiably so then by all means, get out there, make your voice heard, but be safe um, when doing it because there are there are a lot of places right now where unfortunately maybe it's not that safe to go out and, and make your voice heard. Um, yeah. And so just, uh, just be cautious about that because obviously you should be exercising your First Amendment rights if that's what you wanna do, but um, unfortunately we can't, can't necessarily count on the people who are supposed to be protecting those rights to in fact protect them. Yeah, the number of videos that I've seen in the last 48 hours of, of police, you know, macing or firing tear gas at people who are peacefully protesting. Look, I, I, I'm not going to say it's unbelievable because it's been happening for years, but it's startling to see it still every single time. Yeah, no, it, it, it never uh, it never I don't know what the word is. It never loses its shock value, I guess. Yeah. All right, Scott, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm at Scarby Dent. And I can be found at, at shelton 2013 over on Twitter, where you can also find our podcast at, at Media Plug Pods. Subscribe to our newsletter as well using the link in the episode notes. And don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Media Plug Pods, where there are a bunch of different reward tiers you can check out. Pick the one that's right for you and uh, help us make this podcast a more financially viable endeavor. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. Again, that's www.patreon.com slash Media Plug Pods. Check it out for yourself. If you choose not to support us over on Patreon, though, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts, where we'd appreciate if you rated and reviewed us, as well as subscribed and shared, so that we can continue to reach a broader audience. And with that, I have said enough. We really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. And we'll be back next week with a review of Shirley. That is starring Elizabeth Moss, Speak of the Devil, since we were just talking about The Invisible Man. Until then, however... For Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time.